0: Lesbian speaking. 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 Lesbian and she's speaking. Lesbian speaking may contain adult content and is intended for a mature audience. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to this episode of Lesbian Speaking. Before I get to the actual episode, I do want to ask for your help. I want to be able to grow my equipment, my online performance, and grow my audience for the podcast. And in order to do that, I need some audience help here. Uh, Make sure that listening to this podcast, you give it some stars, you give it a comment, share it to your friends and family, get everybody to listen to it. I also have a Patreon where you can go and support the Lesbian Speaking Patreon. I have set up a Venmo if you do not want to become a Patreon subscriber where you can go and help out there. And I have also launched a merch line. That's right. Very short, simple, sweet, to the point merchandise that you can buy for lesbian speaking, support the podcast, get me rolling. I want to make sure I get more episodes out and I want to do it right and do it good for you guys. Uh, You'll see all of the links to this in this episode's bio. Uh, So yeah, make sure to check it out. Give me some support. Thank you. And now on to the episode. Welcome to this episode of Lesbian Speaking. Today, I am sitting down with my good friend, Sharon, who I met on TikTok. Hello, Sharon. Hi. Hi. Thank you for joining me today. Thanks for having me. Coming to share your very interesting story. Um, First, I want to let folks know before we get all into that, what is your TikTok handle?
1: It is Sharon please. It's Sharon dot please. There's a period in there. Sharon dot Sharon please was taken. So (laughs) Sharon dot please.
0: Well, thank you for being here today and being willing to share your story. A very um a very interesting backstory that you have that a lot of folks don't realize and just seeing you on TikTok or probably out on the street that maybe you have this uh very interesting history I'll let you, I'll let you tell your story and I'll just be here to guide you through the process.
1: Yeah. I feel like I don't like, I don't talk about this stuff on TikTok, or maybe I've hinted at it. And remember at one point someone was like story time and I was like, where to begin. So,
0: <laughs> right.
1: I mean, I guess the, the starting point for the story would be, I mean, this is a story of my ex-wife and the whole, um, my whole coming out and what happened in our relationship, how it ended. And, um, so I guess the backstory to tell, um, is just how I met her and how we like came to know each other. Um, I guess I can start there.
0: Okay. Let's do it.
1: So, um, it's July, like, 2011. 2011, okay. I've, 2011. I've been married to a man for, what was it, three months at this point? Okay. Um, had been identifying as straight my life up to that point. Um, and I met Neely uh, at a party. She came to the U.S. Um, she's from Argentina. She was coming to visit her old high school friends. So... When she was a teenager, she did, like, a foreign exchange program and, um, like, was in Michigan going to high school. And then, like, I don't... I still never understood why, but 10 years later, she decided, I'm going to go back to Michigan and visit those high school friends. Her high school friends from Michigan were my ex-husband's group of friends. Okay, So they were, like, hosting her. She was coming to stay for a few weeks, and... Like, I didn't know her or know of her, but, like, that was my circle of friends at the time. And so um, I met her at this party when, like, she had just gotten there. And, um, like, we didn't really, like, interact a whole lot, but I was just, like, and this sounds so cheesy, but, like, I remember being just immediately fascinated with her. Oh, wow. And, like, I studied Spanish. Like, part of it maybe was that, but... Um, I don't know. I just was immediately like locked into her, drawn to her. So it was one of those about her.
0: fairy tale movie style moments.
1: Yes. Okay. <laughs> yes, but it was like this foreign feeling, right? Like, oh my gosh, like what is this? So, like, I kind of just thought, like, oh, like you know, she's cool. She's from South America. Like, I want to get to know a Spanish speaker. Like, I kind of chalked it up to that. Right. So she was here in the U.S. for a few weeks. We hang out a few times she goes back home to Argentina. We connect on Facebook at the time to like, you know, stay friends or whatever. And over the next, I don't know, I guess six months to a year, we just got so close, like super close. Um, and I'm like getting closer to her and I'm pulling further away from my husband and it's like the most confusing time ever. Right. Like what does this mean? Like, what are these feelings? And like, at that point, I'd never dated a woman. Like, I'd never had a serious relationship with a woman. So it was like, it was a lot to process, you know, having just gotten married and then like meeting this person. Like it was, it was a lot.
0: (laughs) Now, did your husband know that you were having communications with her?
1: He did. And, Like, we would spend our social time sometimes together and sometimes separate. Like, I remember he would go to, like, these game nights with, like, a group of friends that I wasn't really, like, into. And so, like, right. he would be out with his friends and I would be, like, on a video call with Melee. Right. And, like, I think at first he just thought, like, oh, like, it's nice that, you know, you have a friend. But over time, like, it, you know, I couldn't hide it anymore. And it, I think it became obvious. So I finally ended up coming out to him. He was one of the first people that I came out to actually. Oh, wow. Um, Bad idea. Oh, was it? (laughs) I mean, to say he didn't take it well, I guess, would be a bit of an understatement. Okay. Um, Yeah. Like, I was so nervous. I was was so just like unsure of myself as a person in general at that time. So it was really hard to even like say those words. And I just kind of blurted out like, I think I'm gay. And like... You know, just my whole body was, like, shaking. It was just, like, it was so right. scary to me because it was, like,
0: How stepping outside
1: of everything safe, you know? Everything, quote-unquote, normal that I knew. Right. Um, but his reaction was just, like, very, like, belittling and, like, denial. Like, no, that couldn't be. Why would you think that? Like, just very dismissive, right? right. Um, so we kind of like start to distance from each other more. Um, I end up going to like stay with my sister and like moving out of the house with my husband. Like things are, you know, bad. I'm still talking to Meili and I'm making plans actually to go and visit her in Argentina at this time. Like, I don't know. I didn't really have a, like a master plan. I didn't know what I was doing. I was just kind of following like what I was feeling, right? And so it was really tough. I think the hardest part was like, having to explain to the people in my life, like what was going on while still figuring it out myself. Exactly. You
0: know? So I think that's, I think that's great that you put it that way because there's a lot of folks who when in speaking with them about their friendships and they say, how come they didn't tell me how come they didn't share yeah. this with me? It's like, because say, why you why have you to lie
1: go to us.
0: Yeah. You have to go through that process for yourself In order to get there to be comfortable with that. And I think that what you described also with how your uh, ex-husband had handled it is what people fear, right? Is that you're going to get this whole negative thing. But his reaction was personal to him because he had, of course, he was wanting this marriage to succeed. Right. And, And hearing that there was something that was an absolute barrier that would never allow it to succeed, I think defeated him. That he had that reaction, but it wasn't personal to you. So I think our listeners need to understand that those reactions have nothing to do with you. It has to do with the feelings that they're internalizing.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there were lots of things that he did, like kind of lashing out at me, that at the time it felt like, you know, a personal attack. But, like, you know, I'm sure it was a big thing for him to have to process and work through as well. Right. But, like, we never got to the point where, like, we could talk about that. Basically, once that cat was out of the bag, like, there was no repair possible. There was no, like... It was, like, either I forget about it and just go back to pretending to be straight or nothing. Like he wasn't willing to like really engage in a conversation about it. And I, frankly, I didn't know how to talk about it either. Like, so there was no way to communicate with each other. Um, you know, it just, it wasn't going to happen. And so I ended up staying with my sister kind of like up until I left for Argentina. And once he found out I was planning to go there and kind of, Because when I came out to him, I didn't say, oh, I'm in love with our friend from Argentina. Like, that was still, I wasn't sure what was going on. I just knew I had these feelings, right? But he knew that she was the catalyst for these things. And so, like, leading up to that trip, when he found out, like, the things he tried to do to stop me. Oh, I bet. Like, (laughs) he tried to um, take my passport. Uh, One day, I was at my sister's house. I got up to go to work. Um, my car was gone, oh. like things like that, what? that, you know, just like, <laughs> like lashing I, I out can get a cab way, <laughs> because he had no control, you know, he was just looking for any way to control the situation and there wasn't a way for him to do it, you know? So that was, you know, that was really tough. And I'm kind of like, I'm summarizing, I guess, and, and kind of giving you like the high level version of the story, but right. like, it was, re- it was really difficult to even like, like I said, with friends and stuff, like trying to explain, because I was part of his circle. Like my friends were his friends. And so like, it was really difficult for me to even like be honest with people if I wanted to and like have that support. My family definitely was supportive. I remember like talking to my sisters about it and like, they were my main like confidants.
0: Oh, who that's I could great. Be more
1: open with, but like with everybody else, it was, it was a struggle.
0: Yeah, it's great that you have that. And a lot of folks who are uh, coming out in any way, shape, or form do find that you only have probably a couple people that you can lean on, which a couple yeah. people is plenty. You lean oh, yeah. on those people. Use them. That's what they're there for.
1: If you have anyone, if you have one person, like, right. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So um, you went to
0: Argentina.
1: So I go to Argentina. Um <laughs> It was so wild because it was like, I, I, at the time I was working as an instructor, an English language instructor, and I worked at this private language school where um, we had like these semesters, but then in the month of August, we would shut down for the whole month. And so I planned to go visit her for the month of August that I had like off of work, basically. Um, But I ended up staying there for six months.
0: Okay. (laughs) We go for a little bit, and then we just kind of stay, yeah.
1: <laughs> so I mean, the i like I was thinking back, you know yesterday, like preparing to talk about this today, and like thinking about like what my mindset was like, getting on those planes and like going there, and like,
0: you were learning to be a lesbian.
1: I know. Yeah. In, in in the most extreme way yeah. possible. Yeah,
0: Yeah. pretty much. Forget the U-Haul. We're just gonna take the U plane.
1: That's right. The yeah. international U plane. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. <laughs>
1: That's what you can title this episode. See? Oh, international
0: U plane. There we go. <laughs>
1: Forget U-Haul. I U plane. Okay. <laughs> um, so yeah, I end up staying there for six months, like We just had this, you know, we had been getting to know each other the past year, like online. And so it felt like, you know, and I had met her obviously, but like getting off that plane and seeing her, like, I will never forget that moment for my life. Like
0: seeing somebody (laughs) in a whole new perspective, right?
1: It just like opened up this whole new world. Like, I just remember walking through these doors, like, you know, you get off the plane and you shuffle through all the different areas of the airport trying to get to where, like, you know, people who are not passengers can be. And I just remember these doors opening and there are all these people waiting to pick people up with signs and stuff. And I immediately saw her standing there and she's wearing this, like, thick brown, like, wool coat. And she had told me, like, it's going to be cold. Like, make sure you're dressed warm on the plane. And I'm, like, in my flip-flops and a hoodie, like, very American. (laughs) (laughs) And I just, like, lock eyes on her. And, like, I just run to her and hug her. And, like, I can feel that moment just, like, talking about it right now. Like, it was that visceral. It was that, like, intense, like, more cheesy movie, Mm. you know. (laughs) But, like, that's how it felt. It felt like magic, you know. It felt like... Okay, like I'm living life now, you know?
0: So freeing, so freeing, yeah. Yeah,
1: absolutely. So, I mean, from there, like we spent six months living in Buenos Aires, where she was living. Um, and her dream and her life had always been to live in the United States. And so we came up with this plan that, um, like, around Christmas time, we would come back to well for me come back to the U.S. and she would come with me and we would like start a new life here together um in Michigan where where I'm from now so what, does what, that, what, what does that what does that take at
0: the time though because where what year was this that you were wanting to bring her back
1: this was in 2012
0: 2012 so yeah. was there a process for Like, was this like the 90 day fiance thing? Is that?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, well, at this time um, she came, I want to say she came on a, just on a tourist visa to start. And then when, when we got here, she actually, (laughs) she actually enrolled in some classes at the language school that I taught at. She she wasn't my student, but she enrolled in the school where I taught. So like I would be driving to work and have her with me, like, and she'd be going there as a student. <laughs> All right. Um. So I, I think she was on a, like a student visa for a while, and then um, she ended up getting a job, and they supplied her with a visa. Oh, okay. So great. It was like it Perfect. took a few little yeah. you know steps to get there, but she ended up getting yeah sponsorship through work. So that that was how she was able to be here when we first came.
0: Nice. Okay. So those of you who yeah. are wondering how you do it. This, <laughs>
1: <laughs> Start with the tourist visa, uh-huh. work your way up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I guess I, I kind of, the next like few years, like there's not, I mean, there's not, I guess a whole lot. I mean, I could tell you all the details of all the things that happened. But like from there, like we just like built this life together and we like, we got our first apartment together. Like, like I said, she got a job. I ended up getting a new job. Like we just like, like started creating this life together. Right. Um, we traveled a lot together. Like that was our thing. We we both really love travel. We were both really impulsive and like fed into each other's impulses. Like everything just felt fun. Like we just, I don't know, we clicked and we had like the same kind of goals in life, which is to like seek pleasure and enjoyment. And like, you know, that's, that's happiness. That sounds like a fairy tale. Yeah, very fairy tale. Very like, I just it was very going from my like sheltered little straight life where mm-hmm. like I couldn't really be myself and didn't really re- even realize it. Right, to that was like, it felt like waking up. You know, like I'm a, I'm alive now. I'm really living life now. It was so like invigorating and refreshing and just like I felt free. Like so much positive. That came from that, that
0: is for great. sure.
1: We actually ended up in 2014, in May of 2014, we decided to get married. And at that time, um, you could not legally get married in every state in the U.S. Correct. So we had um, actually a friend of Miley's was coming to the U.S. to go to New York for like a long weekend before traveling off somewhere else. And we had been planning to go and meet him there just as a vacation. And so... At the same time, we had been talking for a while about getting married and getting her like permanent residency in the U.S. and all those things, and we were like, "Wait a second! Like, we're going to New York. It's legal for us to get married there. Right. Like, why don't we just do it?" So we planned this like mini mini wedding, I guess you could call it. Right. I mean, you could call it eloping. There were four people at our wedding. We got married um, in Central Park at oh. the Ladies Pavilion. Okay, so
0: (laughs) usually when people elope, they just run to the courthouse. But you did a very (laughs) planned (laughs) destination eloping.
1: (laughs) We had a... um A uh, rabbi on a bicycle. Neither one of us, like, I mean, I don't know why a rabbi, but this was the guy we found. A rabbi in a bicycle so, came and was our officiant.
0: So you, okay, when you, when you say this is a guy you found, are you just running around Central Park saying, who can marry us, who can marry us? No, Sorry. I
1: had, I, <laughs> that would be great. That would be a great story. That would be no, really I fun, had, yeah. I had found him online, and, like, he was someone that, like, was performing gay marriage ceremonies at the time. Okay. And his thing was that, like, he was a, He was a cyclist and Mm -hmm. he would come to wherever you were on his bike. And so he was there. And that's kind of
0: cool. So because he was a rabbi, I'm going to ask you another side question. Yeah. Did he have you do the, the rituals that they do or did he follow whatever custom you wanted?
1: He followed whatever custom we wanted. Okay. So we wanted, not, like, non-denominational, short and sweet, like, okay, n- no, no kind of real ceremonies, just, like, let's get it done. <laughs> okay.
0: Well, you have to ask yeah. a question for these folks who are like, I think this rabbi sounds amazing. I want to hire him. So he will do your wedding, too. Just saying. Yeah. yeah.
1: I will have to, like, look up his info. He was, like, at the time, I think he was posting on YouTube, like, videos of, like, songs he wrote or something. He's a very interesting person. So... He probably is still around doing doing the same thing. I, oh, mean, I sure hope. I don't, so. I don't know.
0: <laughs> I mean that he's gonna ride a bike to outdoors. This is like COVID time <laughs> paradise. Yeah.
1: <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, so that was 2014. And then um fast forward to 2016, um, at this point, Miley has like really advanced in her career. She was in IT. She was an IT auditor. Okay. Um which I can't explain a whole lot more than that because it is not my area. It is but, a very um, <laughs>
0: detailed, it takes a lot of brain power. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. So she, um, she had gotten this really great job, um, working for a couple of different clients as an IT auditor. And, um, it was like around, I think it was August ish, 2016. We had just bought house, our first house together. Um, she had, like, bought herself this new car. Like, I don't know. We were, like, just continuing on with our life, and things were going great. Um, so it gets to be November, and if I'm sure you remember what happened in November 2016 in our country.
0: <laughs> yeah, a little <laughs> how, bit. How could yeah. you
1: forget? Yeah. Um, so it's it's the week of the election, right? And so the election happens on Tuesday. It's fucking horrible. We all remember that. Um, and Amelia at that time had been... Like everything was going really well as far as like, you know, her getting this job and like performing well in it. But she was starting to like maybe a month or so before that election week, she was starting to have some like clashes at work, like arguing with some people, um, arguing with a woman that was like her boss at the client she worked for. Like, just little things were kind of cropping up like that, and you know, it was a newer job and I just kind of chalked it up to like, well, she's just kind of figuring out like how to work with these people. I don't know. Like it's, and this, these are things that she hadn't
0: done before. So it's, yeah. Like
1: it just seemed a little like, okay, this isn't like her usual thing, but like, you know, I just chalked it up to being like, because of these people she was working with, but the closer it got to the election, people at her work started making comments to her about how an American should have her job and things like that mm. and it really started to get to her like right around the time of like election day she was really starting to feel like that discrimination right um and so the election's Tuesday that Friday she gets fired from her job oh wow um, yeah and it was really unexpected I mean I knew she'd been having like those clashes or arguments or like little things happening but like I didn't see that coming, and I don't think she did either, and that event, like, basically destroyed her and set the stage for all of the terrible things that followed, (laughs) not to, like, turn the story to, you know, the negative side, but, like, honestly, that was, like, the catalyst for... So many things that followed was that event. And so in my mind, like this story that I'm going to tell you is forever also tied to like that election, like all of that bad shit at once. It was just a very odd timing.
0: Yeah. Bad time of life. But it is um, before we get into the rest of this, it is um, an event like this a very impactful emotional event that does mm-hmm. tend to change people in their dynamic and bring out things that they may not have known were affecting them, which is what you'll get into.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That was a really big, like, it changed everything like in the moment. Right. Cause like I said, we had just bought this house. Like I, it was just like, Oh my gosh, what are we going to do now? You know, like it was, but in my mind I thought, okay, like this is a setback she's been doing so well with her career and everything. Like, she's so smart. Like she can bounce back from this. Like it's just, it's just a setback. Right. And so from December, 2016 to like, I want to say may June of the following year, um, didn't get another job. Like she was depressed. She was like at home all the time. And just like her state of mind just kind of started to decline as far as like her motivation or her like belief that things could get better. Like right. she was just depressed.
0: Was she actively um, looking for a job or was she just feeling defeated?
1: She she looked for and interviewed for so many jobs. Okay. And this and this was where like some of the behavior started to happen that like looking back now we're, like big warning signs, but at the time I just didn't know what to make of it. Like I didn't understand it, but she would go, she would interview for job after job and she would even get job offers. And every time it would fall apart because of the salary. And so because she had been doing so well in her old job, she had this idea that like she needed to be in a like management position, which was totally feasible, made sense, logical. But after being fired from that job, like, you me, had to family, start friends, somewhere everybody else. around her was trying to tell her, like, you got to take whatever job in your field you can get and then just work your way back up. Like, you might have to do that. Like, you can't really negotiate a promotion easily when you've been let go from a job. Like, just trying to kind of level with her and tell her, like, what would be the best way to just be employed again, mm. right? And she just didn't want anything to do with that. and And it got worse and worse to the point where, like, she was demanding these ridiculous salaries from these companies that it was like, they just stopped giving her a chance. And so it got so frustrating to me because I was like, but you know, you, you have to find something. Like we just, it was really hard for me to understand how she could keep right. like turning things down. We still have a
0: mortgage she, to pay.
1: <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And like at the time, like I couldn't support the both of us. Like, the job that I had at the time, like we depended a lot on her job for like how we were living at the time. And so it just, it shook up everything and and seeing her the way that she was acting as far as like, you know, demanding this money that was just like unreasonable. It wasn't even like, uh, she knew her worth and was asking for what she deserved. It was like an extreme beyond that's just un uh, unachievable, right? So like this kind of irrational behavior was like, amping up, and I you know I knew she had been depressed and stressed, and things had been really bad for those six months, and so in my mind I just thought like wow she's just really struggling with this, and it, you know I still thought at that time like okay like we can still <laughs> we can still bounce back from this, um but the like the next thing that happened that started to make me worry was like that irrational behavior or irrational, rational like sense just getting worse so I remember it was like probably like mid June ish um and I was in our house upstairs like brushing my teeth or something and she was downstairs in the evening and all of a sudden she starts yelling up to me like what's going on up there and I'm like, well, I'm just brushing my teeth. Like, what, like, you know, like what's going on down there?
0: Yeah, <laughs> what's up, yo?
1: <laughs> and She was like, why do I hear like boxes getting moved? Like, what? Who's moving boxes around up there? And like, it's me and her in the house, and our cats and our dog. And I'm like, uh, what? Like, <laughs> what are you talking about? You know? And she's like, I know that there are people up there moving stuff around. Like, what is going on? And like, she's serious Mm. and I'm just floored, right? I'm like, I I don't, I don't know what you're talking. Like, there's no one here. Come look. And she wouldn't come look. And she was like, kind of mad at me for the rest of the night. And I was just dumbfounded. Like what? Like what? Right. There was no one there. So (laughs) that was the first, like, okay, like this kind of weird thing with like salary and whatnot has crossed over into something worse. Like something is really wrong. Right. And so in the next few days, she acknowledged also that something was wrong. She was feeling just really anxious. She was feeling kind of paranoid. And, you know, she had had like a history of some mental health issues. Like she was on medication for depression. Um, she struggled with, with anxiety. Like, you know, that wasn't new to her, but obviously like this was something else.
0: Things that are typically common that you would see
1: folks yeah, doing exactly. with. exactly, yes. yeah. And so we like reached out to the therapist she had been seeing for like a long time and like kind of explain what was going on. And the therapist was like, well, I think what the best thing for you to do would be to like go to the, the hospital if go, there's a psychiatric emergency room there and just like have them check you out, check that your meds are the right levels, like see if there's something else going on. And so we were like, okay, if that's, you know, if that's what she's telling us to do, then that's what we should do. So nearly voluntarily at that suggestion was like, okay, like, let's do that. Let's go to this psychiatric ER. So that was my first experience, like being in a psychiatric, like unit or like waiting room environment. And like, I mean, I'll just be honest, like it scared me, like walking in there and seeing the people who were waiting and like how they were suffering and how they were like not in touch with reality Mm. i was just like Melee doesn't belong here like this is this is too much like she's not like she's not like this you know like that was my first reaction um we're there forever and once you check in at a place like that they don't let you leave you know um so we're there forever they finally see her and they decide that they should admit her for a few days um to just see what's going on with like her behavior and all these other things and Which, so that was really scary to me because it was like oh my gosh I thought we were just gonna go and like get her checked out and like go home you yeah know? do a
0: couple of tests we'll be on our way she's fine whatever exactly yeah. like
1: all the she they just need to adjust her meds like she's been having a hard time whatever like I never would have thought like that's what they were going to suggest so that was that was hard um So they told me, you know, maybe three or four days, whatever. So then I go home and she stays there and that's hard. Um, So the next day, I I think it must've been the next day. I go to see her, like they have visiting hours. Um, I I go to see her and see how she's doing. Um, And it started out okay. Like I remember like checking in and you have to give all your stuff to like the nurse or whoever's at the, you know, Little check in station for visitors. And then the the nurse said to me something like, well, she's in her room right now and she's picking out like the meals that she wants for the week. Like maybe that's an activity you could help her with. And that might be nice. And I was like, okay, for the, for the week,
0: like, <laughs> were you knowing that this was going to be for the next week after
1: that? I, I guess, I mean, maybe she didn't say for the week or just for the next few, for the days, next or few days or something okay. to that effect okay. for, for, for her stay, I suppose. Okay. Um, so I go into Millie's room and, like, she's sitting there on the bed and she has, like, a roommate who's, like, there just doing her own thing. Um, and I'm just like, oh my gosh, like, how are you doing? And she just looks kind of tired and out of it, but, like, she seems okay. And so we're looking at this, like, little menu thing and we're just like, you know, I'm feeling kind of sad. Like, oh, she has to, like, be here and, like, this is what she's eating. Like, I don't know. It just felt weird, right? Like, just felt strange. Yeah. And, like... Out of out of nowhere, like, she goes from being, like, mainly talking to me like normal to, like, someone else. And all of a sudden, she, like, looks me in the eyes, and she's like, what the fuck are you doing here? And I was like... What? what? Like, what? Like, it's me. Like, I'm here to visit you. Like, what? what? But, like, the way she spoke to me, it was like... It was somebody else. Like, I'd never heard her speak like that with that tone like, so close to my face. Oh, wow. And I just sat there, like, stunned. Like, what? And before I could even react, she, like, raised her fist and was about to punch me in the face. Oh, no. And I, I like, sprung up. I, like, run out of the room crying. And my brain is just, like, doesn't know how to process what's just happened, right? hmm And I remember going back to that little check-in area, just, like, a mess. And... The, the nurse or whoever it was working there was just unfazed by my like, you know, physical state. Like I'm crying. I'm like, Oh my God. just like freaking out. And she's just like, Oh, here's your stuff back. Maybe come back a different time. Like, I see no this every day.
0: It's not a big deal. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. And so in, in that time while she was there, I think it was only three or four days. Um, like once we knew she was going to have to stay there and like we had told her family, her mom decided that she wanted to come and visit. And so the day after that incident, I believe it was, her mom arrives from Argentina. Her mom is, like, the sweetest, kindest person. The problem is she doesn't speak English and relies on me for translating, for transportation, for...
0: So she needs you there at culture, all times. her
1: everything, right? Mm-hmm. So... Like, it, you know, having a, a visitor at that time was a bit of a challenge because, like, I'm having a hard time, Mealy's in the hospital, and now I feel like I kind of have to look after her mom a little bit. Like, just the way they looked after me when I was, you know, in Argentina. Like, I I felt like I need to do the same for them, and they always did when they would come. And so it was like, in one way, it was like a little bit of relief. Like, okay, her mom's in the beach, so that's good. But on the other hand, it was like, i got to make sure her mom's okay now too.
0: <laughs> exactly.
1: So, um basically at that point it was like, you know, my my job as a translator began <laughs> for the next like several months. Um so she's there like 3 or 4 days and then we have this meeting with her doctors. They say, "Oh, we think she has like a uh, I think they just called it delusional disorder at the time." And they changed her medicine. Um they let her out like Okay, so from there, I thought, all right, like she's got new meds, she stayed in the hospital a few days, like now she'll be okay, right?
0: Oh yeah, it's magic. They <laughs> it's fixed magic. her. They she fixed can go everything. Home. Yes.
1: <laughs> I mean, I was very naive to all to all of this. I should say, like, well, I had I no mean, experience.
0: Exactly. How many people have have been in that position to where they've seen this path in the journey and know what it looks like? Hopefully, right. not very many. Right. Yeah.
1: That wasn't like. I want to say, like, end of June. So then July 2017 is the worst month of my life. Mm. It was, and I'm not trying to be dramatic, or I'm honestly the worst month of my life. Um, Basically, her, the symptoms she was having got way worse after that hospital stay. Oh, wow. Um, Her paranoia got really bad, and she started to have, like, these delusions that... She absolutely believed to be true. And all of her delusions, like the things that she would think were happening, a lot of the times she would put the blame usually on me. I was usually her number one target. But then also because her mom was there, then her mom got a lot of it too. But her delusions would be often around things like, like paranoid things like, you know, there's surveillance happening of our house she was very adamant that me and her mom were putting, like, drugs in everything that she drank, mm. um, including the tap water in the house. So she started, like, hoarding bottled water and buying, like, crazy amounts of bottled water. Um, she had a lot of delusions around rape, which was, like, I I didn't know where that was coming from. Um, but she would... Talk about how, like me or her mom, were bringing people to the house so that they could rape her and things like that. Just, oh, wow. I mean, things that were absolutely had no basis in reality, but she believed them so, like deeply. Like you couldn't convince her that it wasn't real, and if you tried to convince her it wasn't real, then she got angry. You and were a
0: part of it then, if you were trying to tell her it wasn't
1: right. Exactly, and I remember one night. I mean so her aggression started getting towards like threats of violence and she would talk about you know that she was going to kill me or kill her mom or punch us or throw us down the stairs like you name it and this is coming from you know my wife who was like a big animal lover like a sweetheart just a generous kind-hearted person like it was like night and day mm-hmm. to hear those things like come out of her mouth um and i remember one night it was like really late she was sleeping and her mom and I were, like, cleaning up after dinner or something. And we decided that we needed to gather up all the knives in the house and hide them. Um, we put them all in this, like, brown paper bag. And we wrapped it up and we, like, put it in a box up in the garage because we were afraid. We were afraid of what she was capable of because of the way that she had been acting. Right. And, like, that was, that was scary. And that was, like, I was completely unprepared to handle any of that. And so, like, the, that was, like, the environment that we're living in. And, like, the, around the time that we hid the knives was when, like, her threats of violence, like, were really becoming more frequent, I guess.
0: Do you think and that so, it was hiding the knives and that maybe she saw that you were hiding the knives, that it was she felt that she didn't have a way to protect herself and became more violent? Or was that completely unrelated?
1: I mean, it could be. I don't know. She never mentioned the knives, but I mean, I'm sure she noticed like (laughs) no sharp knives left in the kitchen. Um, but like any, any little thing, like she would turn it on and say, we had done something like she would have, she started having like some short-term memory loss. Like she would misplace like her pack of cigarettes, her phone, and then blame us for hiding it. And then she find it and like, you know, we try to say like, Oh, remember you set it down or whatever. And like, there was no, you couldn't reason with her. And just like you said, if you tried to, then she'd flip it onto you and be like, well, you did this. And why would you do that? And don't touch my stuff. And just really defensive, really aggressive about things. So, her mom and I like just really don't know what to do. I think she was still seeing her like therapist and psychiatrist at this point, but like this was only like a week or so after she was out of the hospital. And so I remember I had talked to her therapist at some point, and she told me that um, you know, if if she's making these threats and and she's getting like too aggressive, and you and Ines, her mom, like don't know what to do, then. In that situation, what you need to do is call nine one one and have her taken, you know, back to that uh, psychiatric ER to get evaluated. Like, basically, ha- have her taken to the hospital involuntarily is what she was telling us. Right. And so, I took her word for that. And there was a day, like after all these, you know, the knife thing and all that a day that she was being like particularly aggressive and scaring me and scaring her mom and her mom and I decided like, we need to call. Like this is only getting worse. Like she needs to be evaluated again. So, and I, I didn't know what was going to happen. I was following the advice of this therapist. I said, okay, I'm going to call 911. They'll probably bring an ambulance here, take her back to that, that psych unit. Like right. that's what I thought was going to happen. Exactly. No. <laughs> that's not what happens. <laughs> that's not what happens when you call 911 and say that there is a, like, uh, some kind of psychiatric emergency. Um, the police came to my house. Okay. They, they pulled her out of bed and took her in handcuffs out of the house. Oh, no. And her mom and I were just traumatized. It was horrible. It was shocking. Mm-hmm. And, it, like, it was the first time that I... Like you know you hear people say like oh you know people who are mentally ill are treated like criminals and like you know I I knew of that kind of like idea in our culture right but then seeing it like that right in front of my face it was I mean it was really like, unbelievable to me that like I'm calling for for help for like a health crisis and the police come and like it was just it was unreal yeah. and the other the other part of that that is, was so frustrating that I came to learn very well was that in those situations, when you call nine one one and the police come, you don't get to ask for where the, they take the person. Oh. So like I would have, I would have asked like, Hey, can you take her to that same hospital? Right? Mm-hmm. No, the police decide based on whatever, I don't know what rules they have, but like they just take, they just take the person wherever. And Sometimes, like they'll tra- they'll get transferred somewhere else, and you don't even know. So, in this case, <laughs> this particular day, the police take her to a Catholic hospital.
0: Oh, okay.
1: So, they tell us that that's where they're going to go. So, me and Ines get in the car. We follow. We go there. Um, the experience I had at that hospital, like. You know, I I had never experienced, like, just someone not believing a word coming out of my mouth. So the social worker that they assigned to us when, when Melee got there um, didn't believe a word of the story, didn't believe that Mili was sick, didn't believe that, uh, you know, what we were describing about her behavior and how, like, she wasn't like this, and now she's having these problems, and now she's behaving this way, and we don't know what to do. She said to me, the social worker said to me, You know, you really shouldn't call 911 over a silly family fight.
0: Oh, my. Okay. Thank you.
1: <laughs> and so, like, I, at this point, I don't know what to do because, like, we've gone through all of this to try to get her this help. And, like, this woman's not believing us. And so I'm, like, texting my mom. And my mom is, like, texting my uncle, who is a psychiatrist. So my mom, my uncle <laughs> come to the hospital, they're trying to reason with like the people there. And finally, the reason that they finally listen and like acknowledge that like Neely's behavior was out of hand, but that only happened when we were in the room with Neely, I was in the room with her and her mom and Neely was like arguing with us about like, you know, I shouldn't be here and this and that. And she tried to she tried to punch me. She tried to swing on me again. And when the people working in the hospital that we were with saw that, that's when they finally, like, started to listen to what we had to say. And maybe they still didn't even believe what we had to say, but that's when I think they realized maybe there was a problem.
0: Or maybe um, they then, because of domestic violence, had to follow procedures at that point.
1: Right, yeah. right. But anything we had said prior to that, was like dismissed. So from there, they finally let us like fill out. So when someone is being admitted, that's not voluntary. If you're the person saying, I think they should involuntarily be admitted. um, You have to fill out this petition where you explain like who you are, your relation to them and why you think, you know, meanwhile, I'm having to translate all of this for (laughs) Ines into Spanish. So like, it was just, you know, there was a lot happening. The, the hospital was not helpful. It wasn't the place we needed to be at. Um, the social worker, you know, saw us as this gay couple, these people who didn't speak English. And she just, I don't know what assumptions she made about us, but she was not there to help us.
0: And you were not in the state where you were married, right? So they didn't recognize legally your marriage. Correct.
1: Yeah, I don't, I don't think so. I mean, that, I mean, I think because her mom was there, like she was the one whose name was on the petition. I'm trying to remember now, but yeah, but yeah, like our marriage wasn't recognized in Michigan at that time. Right. From there, um, they ended up transferring her to this other place. Um, that was, it's not a hospital. It's like, a psychiatric facility, I guess you could call it, um, where people, I mean, I guess it's kind of like a hospital, but it's not. Um, but it's a place where like people are staying for like a week or more at a time for treatment and like therapy sessions and that sort of thing. So, and again, we don't get to choose or have a say in this. I actually, they didn't actually even call me to tell me where they were taking her. I called that Catholic hospital, like the next morning to check on her and they were like, Oh, she's been transferred. Like where?
0: Oh my. Okay.
1: <laughs> so, anyways, so they take her to this um this psychiatric place. Um, and that place was just I don't know, in my from my point of view, nothing that they did helped her. It only made her it only made things worse for her. And they were very difficult to communicate with. So She was there maybe for like a week that time, I think. And at that point, the doctors there diagnosed her as having schizoaffective disorder, which if your listeners don't know, is, um, it's kind of a combination of schizophrenia and bipolar. So it's like schizophrenia plus a mood disorder of some kind. Right. Um, it, it can't be cured. It can be treated with medication and therapy, um, but it's you know it's it's a basically like a form of schizophrenia. So they they give her that diagnosis and that like that was the only was <laughs> the only helpful thing I think that they did. Um, it was really frustrating because it was impossible for me to get a hold of anyone that was directly caring for her at that facility. So like I would always be playing phone tag, they would assign a social worker and I have to leave a voicemail Um, I later found out some of the details that like, like Amelia ended up telling us, like they, she was a vegetarian. They were serving her meat at mm. every meal and told her, oh, everyone gets the same food. Sorry. Like okay. they, they had a meeting with her to talk about the cost of her stay, which like I got, that made me really frustrated and upset. Like she's ill Part of her stress, it was related to like, you know, job loss and finances. And you're going to have a conversation with her about like the bill she's going to have to pay when she gets out, like just the way they handled things. It didn't make sense to me. Right. Um, so I, I found out also that she ended up getting into a lot of arguments with the staff there. Um, and she got into some kind of like altercation with another patient there where she like ended up like punching a clock off the wall and, like, throwing this girl up against a wall. Mm. Um, I don't know. I, I also didn't always know what to believe when the story was coming from Neely at this point, but... Um,
0: yeah, because if was she her- was telling the story, then she could have been saying something that didn't actually happen, but in her mind it happened,
1: right? Exactly, okay. exactly. So it was, like, I don't know, but she would talk about... Neely would talk about that incident a lot, and then later, as time went on, she would, like, that... I think she got some sort of, like high or like power out of doing that out of like throwing this other patient around and so she would make that threat all the time after that that she would do that to me or her mom or whoever Mm. um so during during the time that she's staying there um she was there like a week uh her aunt who's kind of like another parent to her and one of her sisters decide they want to come and like be part of this team with me any nice to try to help her.
0: Right.
1: Um, so they fly in. So now <laughs> I have three of my in-laws there, um, that need my help for transportation, translation, etc. Um, so again, it's like, I have their support and I, I needed their support, but at the same time, it was like an extra bit of drain and strain on me. Um, so they come to stay with us. Uh Neely ends up getting discharged. But when she gets discharged, she decides that I cannot be at our house anymore. Oh wow. So like I, I am like the center of all her delusions, all of these things that she like is paranoid about. She's kind of pinning it all as being caused by me. So Which she is decides- also it
0: seems kind of to be understandable because her mental health changed during your marriage by timing wise, but when your mental health is declining, you're not going to see that this is completely unrelated. You're going to see that everything in your life has a cause and effect, which is not the case. And I,
1: and I was the closest, like I was the one always there closest to her. So it made sense that like she would pin it on me, even though it didn't make actual sense, you know? Yeah. So her her has. other family members come to stay. She gets discharged again, um, from, from this institution. Um, and just like the first hospital stay, like she got out of that first hospital and she was worse. She gets out of this whole experience and she's worse. Like the things that I mentioned before about the paranoia, the delusions, all of that is just amped up but now there's like new things that start happening like one of the things she started doing was talking to herself for like 30 minutes to an hour and like you couldn't you couldn't like stop her interact with her she would just get into this like mode and like talk to herself she was constantly like blasting music everywhere um like really loud um not eating not sleeping not showering um, convinced we were all drugging her. All those things were still happening. And like, again, just getting worse. Um, and so she, she hadn't wanted me to be at the house at all. And so I started staying kind of like on and off with my sister at the time who we lived in the same city at the time. So like, she was five minutes away. So like I started spending more time over there. Um, Nealey's family was at our house with her, Like, we're just trying to figure it out, like, day to day at that time. Um, And so um, I wasn't there at the time, but I find out that, like, Mealy started, like, demanding that her aunt, like, give her, like, she asked her aunt to give her all of her credit cards and all the money that she had in her wallet. And, of course, her aunt was like, no. (laughs) Um, So when her aunt said no, Mealy decided To call the police on her family. Oh, okay. Um, I don't know what. I don't know why. (laughs) Um, She, I guess, told them all they needed to get out of the house. Um, So they contact me, and I go over there, and she, (laughs) her poor family—her mom, her aunt, her sister—are on the side of the road with their suitcases. Oh no! Outside of the house, and they're just—they just look defeated and scared and sad. And I'm just like, oh, my gosh. Like, it was unbelievable, like, that, you know, she would literally send her family out on the street that are, you know, miles and miles and miles, a continent away from home. It was just unbelievable. Um, So, like, I think we tried talking to her on the phone. She was, like, demanding the credit cards, the money, and these things still. Um, The police end up coming it ends up that I end up going with and taking her family to my mom's house. And we all stay there for the night. Um, Then Melee started saying that I kidnapped her family, um, that I was like going to harm them and all these things. Like, and it was like, no, you kicked them out, but like, you couldn't, again, like there was no way, there was no way to reason with her.
0: Even for your mother to open up her home, And do all of this. The care that in the time that every one of you, your family and her family are putting into this to try to help her. Yeah, Yeah, it's amazing.
1: I mean, we it was like a whole team of people, right? Like my uncles got involved. My mom, my sisters, like her whole family. Like we had this whole network of people. Right. And Mm -hmm. like she was this unstoppable like tornado of destruction. Like anything in her path was just like demolished like no one could control her no one could like really connect with her or reach her and to me that was like the hardest part was like I couldn't like she wasn't there like she was the her the real her was like fading away and this new monster of a person that had taken over was all that was left right and so it was like you couldn't even like I tried so many times to like, show her, like, an old photo. Like, I remember showing her a photo from that that airport moment that I told you about. I, like, I sent her a photo of, like, that moment in the airport. And I was like, Doesn't this, does not this mean anything to you? Like, do you remember this? Like, and just nothing. It she was didn't like
0: even remember. Talking to someone this. else. Wow. Wow. Forever. Like, even all the memories to disappear like that on top of it. Not even create a new false memory but just to not remember it
1: right right and to and but at the same time to still be like I don't know like I don't know who she thought I was or what connection she thought we had but like clearly she was you know blaming me for all these delusions and things and like I don't I really don't know I don't know like she seemed so scared all the time and I just, it, there was there was no making sense of it is, I guess, you know, the thing to say. There right. was, there's no way you can figure out the logic because there wasn't any. Yeah. So I think what ended up happening was like her family ended up going back to the house or something. Somehow it got smoothed over. They went back to stay with her. they They helped her to get to an appointment with her psychiatrist. So for years before all of this, She had a therapist and a psychiatrist that she saw like on a regular basis. So um, she was supposed to go see her psychiatrist as like a follow-up after having been at that psychiatric facility. And so her family goes with her to the appointment. I didn't go. Um, She didn't want me there. And I find out that at this appointment, she just started yelling at her psychiatrist and started like taking off all of her clothes in front of him and yelling at him and like the Amelia I knew would never would right. never take off her clothes in public, especially not in front of a man. Like it was just another unbelievable, like what is happening kind of moment. And so when her psychiatrist saw that behavior, um, he decided that like we needed to do another one of these involuntary hospitalization petition type situations.
0: What is a pump, pal? Well, I'm glad you asked. It is a glove that has a magnet in it so you can stick it inside the door of your gas tank. You can stick your hand right in there, pull the pump, not touch a thing. Keep your hands nice and clean, spick and span. And guess what? It is made from the silicone that you can clean when you get home. And you can keep it sanitized. And you don't have to worry about touching all the muck and bringing it home. So get your Pump Pal. All you have to do is go to the link in this episode, click on it, get yours today, get one for your friends, get one for your family. Everybody needs this thing. Be safe, be clean, and get your Pump Pal. This seems like a good time to take a break from the podcast. And once again, ask for your support. Remember, after listening to the podcast, go and give us some stars, give us some comments. I also need some support in order to upgrade my systems here. Please visit the Patreon. If you don't want to become a Patreon member, you certainly can donate at my Venmo account, Lesbian Speaking. I also have my merch line, which is newly launched. You can go and find the links for that all in this episode's description. Make sure you get the word out, Lesbian Speaking. I mean, I'm not number one, but I'm working on it. Now your mindset, when they say, we need to take her back to get another evaluation. And each time you said that this was essentially getting worse. Yeah. So was your fear then that it was going to make it worse or were you still hopeful?
1: I think at that time it was just like, I didn't know what other options there were. And I was so desperate for like some actual help. And so I really was like hoping that I was so happy when I found out she was going to go see her like a longtime psychiatrist because he was someone that previously she had trusted. And I thought maybe she'll listen to him. Maybe he can help her. You know that I just kept thinking like from one situation to the next, like maybe this time there'll be someone that can actually help. And I was let down every time. And it's not because people didn't try like her therapist and psychiatrist like those two really did try but it's like they also ran out of options and to me that was like the most eye-opening piece of the puzzle to like really see that like we had reached this limit of where her psychiatrist couldn't help anymore and like who do you go to then who can help you when the therapist is kind of like well you got to go to the hospital the psychiatrist you got to go to the hospital and then you go to these hospitals and like you know, have these short stints of care where they just change up meds and like shuffle her out the door again. It was just like this, I just saw this cycle starting to happen. Right. But at this point when the the psychiatrist is saying like, we need to do this again, I think I still at that point had some hope that like, okay, like we've got, we've got his help. Like maybe this time will be better. Like My whole thing from, like, once I really realized how serious it was, like, from that first hospitalization, my mindset was, I will do anything to fix this. I will do anything for her to be okay. And that was the wrong, I mean, not the wrong mindset, but, like, I couldn't fix it. And that was the really hard lesson that I had to learn through all of this, was, like, it didn't matter what me, my mom, her mom... All the doctors, everybody like it didn't matter what anybody did. If Mealy didn't want to help Mealy, if Mealy didn't think she had a problem, it was a non starter. Right. So
0: Which how do you convince somebody in that state that there is a problem?
1: You can't. Right. I mean, we try I mean we most definitely tried and it would just upset her more. She didn't believe us, like I mean, you can't. So at that point you know i don't i don't want her to be back in the hospital but i don't know what else to do so i'm like okay yeah i'll fill out the petition like whatever let's just do it so before we can even like get the petition like <laughs> finished and start that process um i find out that Melee has in, like called the police on her family yet again okay <laughs> um So somehow in this situation, she ends up calling the police. They come. The police in the city we were living in at the time, like, know us at this point because of the many times they've been called to our house. Um, They get on the phone with her psychiatrist. Anyways, we work it out to where they're going to take her to be evaluated. But yet again, the police choose where she goes, not the family. Right. So this time they take her to this... (laughs) I don't even know what you would call it. It was like a processing facility. It wasn't a medical office, but a doctor, a doctor worked there. And the point of this place was for people to like be evaluated to see if they needed to go, like be moved on to a place like that psychiatric facility or like a a hospital or something like that. It was like, a kind of like touchstone but not like a place people stayed long term. Right. So this was a new environment that we hadn't been in before, and which freaks her out probably was, even
0: more all of these new environments.
1: Oh yeah. yeah, and and us too, right? Because like we don't know what to expect every single time. It's right. different providers, different faces, different people we have to I have to explain the whole story to right. every time. In this place, I I I <laughs> I'm like, I remember, like, telling my sister what happened this on this night at this place, and she was like, like, you couldn't make this up if you tried. Like, the, it, this place was a literal nightmare, Lee. Like, so we spent the whole evening there. We're there from, like, 6 p.m. to, like, 1 in the morning. Oh, wow. When you go in, the door locks, you can't leave. Um, a lot of the people who were there in the waiting room were brought in by police, were brought in in handcuffs. Some of them were being brought, um, like taken out of jail to see like what their what evaluation would have, like where it would send them next. Like I didn't fully understand, but this was different than say the the psychiatric ER waiting room. But like similar vibes, but like a different kind of group of people, um, with, if with that makes sense. With fear of,
0: of a better term, um, because I live within the English language and we have barriers, but did this feel like I mean, more of a place for the
1: criminally insane? I mean, I I guess I'm, I'm not sure what that term is meant to mean. Exactly. But it seems more like a place for people who had been caught up in the criminal justice system but had mental health issues like exactly. that intersection is like the people that were there okay. yeah yeah you could describe it that way i guess okay um so i mean the the people that i saw in that waiting room were far worse off than the people i saw in that psychiatric er so like i mean the feeling of being in that place like will sit with me forever like i can i can imagine it now and it's just like I don't know how, I don't know how to describe it. Like there was a man I remember in a wheelchair and he had like a tray of like food on like in front of him. And he was just throwing it, throwing juice boxes at the wall, throwing food everywhere, screaming, yelling, crying. And like, no one's attending to him. The the people working at like the reception desk are like really young guys, maybe like 20 years old. They're on their phones. Like they're not paying attention. Mm. Um, there, there was this other woman who got brought in from jail and she just like is endlessly talking about stories about like abuse she experienced in jail and like all these other things. Like it was just a very tense, intense environment. Um, and so all of a sudden we're there for a few hours, like waiting for Melee's turn to be evaluated. And, um, Mealy's just sitting with us in the waiting room and she's like super anxious and She's experiencing that environment as well. And all of a sudden, the power goes out. Oh, no. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, like this is out of a nightmare. And it's like dead silent. All of a sudden, everybody's kind of just like, whoa, what happened? And there was this guy, like, sitting a few chairs over from us, and he starts singing. All my exes live in Texas at the top <laughs> of his lungs. No. And I, like, looked at Millie's sister, Juliana, and we were both just like, this isn't real life right now.
0: All of this, I can picture it completely happening in my head and you thinking, this is completely surreal.
1: Completely. Yeah. And like I said, in this place, when you come in, the door locks and, like, you can't leave. And, like, police were bringing people in and out, like, very controlled, right? But the power went out, which meant the door was open. So what happens? Everybody in the waiting room decides they're going to go outside. Mm. The, guys, the guys at the front desk are just like, whatever, don't do anything about it. And so <laughs> I'm just like, okay, like, I think we went outside for a minute just to, like, see what was going on. End up coming back inside. I don't, I don't remember exactly how that part played out, but finally it, the power is still out, but they finally call Neely's name to be evaluated after so many hours. So we go in the dark back to this little like office to see the, the person that's going to evaluate her. And I guess there was like, uh, the doctor and then like some sort of assistant or like, I don't know. I don't know what their titles were in this place. Um, They were not professional by any means. So the first person we talked to, like just doesn't really believe our story. Doesn't really take us seriously. Um, Neely starts getting really antsy and like yelling and screaming and getting aggressive. And they ask her if she wants to go lay down in one of like the beds they have in the back. And she says, yes. So she, (laughs) she removes herself from the situation and she goes to lay down. They send us back to the waiting room and they're like, okay when the doctor is ready to see her, like, we'll let you know. Um, so it gets to be like one in the morning. They tell us that like Melee's sleeping, that it's going to still be a wait. And that if we want to leave and come back, we can. And so at this point, like me and her family are just exhausted. So oh, we're like, like okay,
0: yeah,
1: like we don't want to leave her in this place, but like, we don't have any other options. It's either like we continue waiting or, Like we go home and come back, so and we what is those sitting to, there
0: and waiting going to accomplish? You know, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And like
1: we'd been through enough, we were like, okay, let's try to go get some sleep. So, um, we go sleep for a few hours. I call the place and I find out that they transfer her to that same psychiatric facility again that she was at the last time. Um, so they have her admitted there. Um, Side note, at some point, I remember Amelia telling us that after we left that night, that one of the workers there, like, shoved her to the floor and was, like, you know, being aggressive with her. And okay. we didn't, like, again, we were like, well, did that really happen or is this one of her, like, delusions? And we didn't right. know, right? Years later, like, in the, I don't know, maybe, like, two years ago, I, my sister sends me this like news story about how that particular processing facility had like a history of abusing people who came through there. Oh no. So, so I think what she said was true. I tried filing so many complaints against that place, even at the time before even knowing if that was true, that like went nowhere. And again, like we, we did not choose to go to that place. We had to. Right. Because that's where the police decided she needed to go. Right. But anyways, so um, this time she's at the, the psychiatric facility for, like, I think maybe two weeks. It was a longer time this time. Um, and by this point, like, her family and I are just, like, really, we're, like, exhausted, right? And her aunt and her sister end up having to go back to Argentina. Like, they had been here for a few weeks, like they needed to go back. So it's just me and her mom again. Um, and so (laughs) I remember like we would try to go visit her and sometimes she wouldn't see us and sometimes she would. And it was like, we never knew what to expect. Um, again, like with this day, her behavior, didn't really seem to be changing. Um, so it's getting closer to the time where like they're going to, they're talking about releasing her from there. And so her mom and I are getting anxious because honestly, at this point, like when Melee was in the hospital, it was like our chance to breathe. And Mm -hmm. that sounds cruel, but like, it's true. Like at that time, it was like, that was our relief from the intensity of it all.
0: And I, I, I get that you say it sounds cruel. And uh, for those of you who are listening, who may be going through something similar as this, it's important to take care of your own body and mental health oh, while taking right. care of others, right? And if you don't have those breaks, it, then you're going to drive yourself crazy too. And it's, uh, it's just exhausting to care for another human to, and everything that Sharon is describing here. Yeah. To have the family members over and while dealing with your own work life and trying to have your own social life on top of it. Because you need those outlets. It's very important. So don't feel like it's something that you're being greedy with your time or that you're being unkind to somebody else. Because it's it's necessary. So you can keep supporting. Oh, absolutely. Yeah.
1: That was really hard for me to grapple with, too. Like, I, I had been going to therapy myself at the time. And, like, I didn't realize how much I was neglecting myself throughout all of this. Like... I mean, as time went on with all of this, like, I, during those two weeks, for example, like, this particular stay at the psychiatric facility, um, it was, like, my sister was getting married, and I remember the dress that I had bought to wear to her wedding didn't fit me anymore, because I had lost so much weight from all of this stress. Like, I think I had lost, like, 30 pounds, which, oh, wow. if you've seen me, is a lot.
0: She's pretty tiny, guys, so... <laughs>
1: yeah it was like it was a lot like my health was being damaged absolutely like and so I I learned the hard way exactly what you're saying that importance of like you know it's like what they say on the planes like put the mask on yourself before helping others but like it's so true because Mm -hmm. you can't help anyone if you're not okay yourself but like I was just running myself into the ground, like desperate to, you know, make this all go away and didn't realize how bad it was really impacting me. Right. So when they were talking about releasing her, like, you know, we knew that our kind of quiet time was going to come to an end, that breathing room. Um, And so we were, you know, we were just getting really anxious about it. And so I asked the people at this facility, like, can we have a meeting with you? Like, can we like talk about this? Because, you know, this is the third time within less than two months that she's being hospitalized. And like, every time it's just, we're not in any better position. Um, so I asked if we could have a meeting. They told me, no, a meeting wasn't possible. They tried to blame it on language barrier concerns oh. because of Mealy and her mom. And I was like, um, excuse me like i'm here i can translate i speak english like that's not an issue for us um but they wouldn't meet with us they told me that we could write down our concerns um in a letter and that the social worker and the doctor could you know review that oh okay so we me and and i think we end up consulting like other members of the families too we put together this document with all of our concerns, the whole timeline of everything that, you know, I've been talking about this whole time um, and basically just beg them to please come up with to help us work with her to, on a plan to like figure something out, like begging them to help us in any way. Right. Um, they tell me I can't email them the letter. Um, I have to bring it in person. So oh, we okay. get the letter to them. <laughs> right. Like this is ridiculous. Like, yeah. this is ridiculous, right? Like, Wait, do we have another 2016? hoop? 2016. Can we find
0: another hoop for them? We need more jumping guys. Where's another hoop? <laughs>
1: so like we give them the letter, a day goes by. I've heard nothing from them. So I'm calling repeatedly, leaving them messages. Like I said before, it was really hard to like get a hold of anyone and have anything meaningful like happen. Um I never got to speak to her doctor there ever. I finally hear from the social worker. Um, I find out that neither she or the doctor read the letter. Mm. She made some comment about it being quite long. It was two pages. <laughs> um, and she tells me all about their plan to discharge mely despite everything that we were basically begging them to do in the other direction. Um, At this point, I'm, like, desperate. I'm writing all these emails to her psychiatrist, her therapist, anybody I could think of. Like, nobody has any other suggestions, ideas, nothing. Like, there's nothing anyone can do. Right. So, Mili Mili gets discharged. Uh, Again, she decides she doesn't want me at the house. Um, I go stay with my sister again. Within a couple of days of her being um, discharged... I get a phone call from her sisters who are in Argentina um, and they're like frantic. And they're like, they said they just talked to their mom and that something happened at the house with Ines and Mili, um, that Mili had attacked Ines and like hit her or like punched her or something like that. And they're begging me to call the police. (laughs) Like, please, like, we don't want our mom left alone with her. We're scared. Like, please call the police. Please have Mealy taken back to the hospital. Please do something. Right. So I, I did it. And not thinking that if I call 911 and say that she has attacked someone and that I want her to be evaluated, you know, for her mental health, that all they're going to hear is she attacked someone. right? Right. But I don't. I don't know, I don't, I'm naive to this at the time. So I call 911. Of course, the police come. I go back over to what was my house. Um, And the cops tell me that they're taking Neely uh, to jail, not to be evaluated anywhere, not to a hospital, to a processing facility, none of those places. They're taking her to jail for domestic violence. Okay. And so I'm like, shit, like this (laughs) is a whole new set of problems. That only sets us back even more because Neely is in the U.S. at this time um, as a permanent resident, not as a citizen. So she's uh, still, you know, someone who could be deported. It's the Trump era is freshly started all those like ice crackdowns are happening at that time. And like, that's where my mind is going. Like right. now we have this legal problem, this cr- this crime problem in addition to the health problem. Right. And I'm like, I'm begging these police officers who have, who like know me by name at this point, because they've been to my house so many times, they know the deal they know, but because, you know, they have to follow their protocols. Uh, they take her to jail. So, that was like on a Friday and I don't remember like the details around it, but she ends up spending the whole weekend in jail and they won't let me bring her like even a change of clothes. Nothing.
0: Yeah. Because it's the weekend. They don't have hours that you can go and do things. Right. Right. Yeah.
1: So on that following Monday, um, she has to appear like via video conference before a judge so Inez and I decide we're going to go to the courtroom so we can talk to the judge. Um, so we go there and finally it's Mili's turn. and We see her on the screen and I ask to go and speak to the judge. And I'm desperately, again, <laughs> telling the whole story of what's going on. And basically, my, I'm just trying to get this judge and in all the other scenarios, trying to get people to understand like the actions that have taken place, the person you see now is not the person who she is or who she was. And like, that was all that I wanted, you know, people to understand. Like, this is just not how she has always been. Like, this is extremely erratic, different behavior. Like, you know, she's sick. She's not a criminal. She needs help. Right. And so I'm, I'm pleading with this judge. I'm crying. I'm like begging, like, please, like, you know, we just need someone to listen and help us. Nothing I say is taken into consideration. The judge issues a no contact order uh, between Neely and her mom. He says that Ines can stay at our house, but Neely needs to stay in a hotel until her next court date for this domestic violence. oh, great, who's charge.
0: gonna pay for that
1: <laughs> and she's gonna be at a hotel by herself yeah like this it was this sounds un- safe
0: unreal very safe yeah yeah.
1: And, and like, so I can tell you this and it's like, you know, it's, it sounds ridiculous. Right. And so like, I feel like I'm starting to like lose my mind because I feel like I'm explaining this story and that it should kind of like flag to people as being like wild and like not normal and all these things. And it's just not like, it doesn't phase anyone I interact with. Right. Right. It doesn't phase a judge, the social workers, no one and. To me, that's, like, one of the saddest parts of the story is, like, to them, it was, like, just another, like, just another day.
0: That we, uh, just another person that we don't have resources for. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I'm, like, standing before this judge, like, please, my whole life is falling apart. Help me. Do something. And, like, no one, no one could help. Right. So, (laughs) I start contacting, like, lawyers for advice on what to do because I'm, like, she's going to, like we're going to have all this legal trouble. Like she's not going to be able to stay in this country on top of everything else. Like it's a whole new like set of problems. Um, So at this time, I take a leave of absence from work. I had been trying to work up till that point and like missing days all the time. And so I take a leave of absence to like deal with, you know, everything. Right. Um, And so what we end up deciding is that <laughs> this was actually a suggestion from a lawyer, and this lawyer was like, you know, I didn't suggest this, but but basically what she told us was that if Ines wasn't in the U.S. anymore, that the charges would probably have to be dismissed because Ines wouldn't be able to appear in court to say what happened. And so Ines went home, and so now, <laughs> like, I still have my family, of course, but like I don't have any of Amelia's family here and mealy had been staying in a hotel and she ends up going like back to the house. Um,
0: and now she's at the house by like, herself.
1: Now she's at the house by herself. And there's no, there's no more support system of like, you know, the other family members right. because Ines had to go to like, try to avoid that problem basically. So um, at this point, it's like August, 2017. And so Mealy asks me, if we can go together to go see her longtime therapist. And to me, I was like, I saw this as such a hopeful sign. I was like, absolutely. I'll go with you. Like, yes, let's do this. That sounds great. Like it gave me such relief to like have her even put that out there as a suggestion. Right. So we go to the appointment. Um, and Melee is kind of like, she would do this thing where she would like kind of flip back and forth. like, she'd seem kind of okay. And then she'd flip into that like aggressive delusional mode. Um, So at the appointment, it's like a little bit of that flipping back and forth. Um, But like the therapist wasn't really getting to see what I've been living with day in and day out.
0: Because it's very minor compared to what you'd see. Yeah. Okay.
1: Exactly. And so the therapist um, who's known, Melee for years who I had like met multiple times and like had been emailing with all this time and all these things. Like she knows us. Um, She suggested that we try like remaining separated, like living separately, but that we take turns having like quote unquote custody of our dog Luna. Um, So she thought that if Melee had the responsibility of like taking care of her that it might help her structure her days and that, oh.
0: And there's Luna. Luna oh. You said my name.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so the, the therapist suggests to us this idea of like sharing custody of, of Luna and, and our cats too, like sharing custody of the pets, right? Because um, she thought it would help her to like have structure and that sort of thing. So the plan was that um, we would come back to see the therapist in two weeks and that during those two weeks, We would have one week where Melee would have Luna and then the next week I would have her and then we'd come back. We'd talk to the therapist and see how it went. And so, like, thinking about it now, like, what a stupid plan considering everything that had happened. But I was just so desperate for anything that could help and anyone that could be helpful that wasn't just myself that I was like, okay, you're giving us a plan. I love it. Let's do it. Like... I was nervous, but I just was, like, so eager for someone to give us a solution. Right. right.
0: Try anything. Right.
1: Exactly. So I was I was willing to do anything to like, you know, I kept thinking of it as, like, getting my life back. So I was like, okay, like, let's try this. So Mealy has the first week. During that week, she disappears. Her car's gone. The pets are gone. Uh... In the garage of the house, when I finally go over there, all of her clothes are in garbage bags in the garage. Like, there's just weird, you know, weird things like that, and all she's right. just gone. She's not there. The animals are not there. And your panic at
0: this moment. Oh,
1: freaking out! Yeah. Um, I think so. In my at this point, my suspicion is that maybe she went back to the hotel she had been at um, during that like court situation. Um, because she had this whole thing, like one of her delusions was about like the house being under surveillance multiple times. She wanted us to like take her to the store so she could buy all new locks for the house. Like she had a lot of delusions and paranoia related to the house. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, maybe she was like getting paranoid about being at the house and just like went back to that hotel.
0: Like
1: that was where my mind went, um, But, like, her family didn't know where she was. She wouldn't tell anybody. And, like, a week goes by, and, like, we don't know where she is. But she's communicating, like, via text with her family, very little with me. But, like, no one can get information out of her as to where she is. But finally, she must have ran out of money or something, and she told her aunt where she was. She was in Los Angeles.
0: So from Michigan... Mm -hmm. to los angeles with a dog and two cats in the car
1: well so at this at this time we had together we had three cats we had my two older guys kiko and diego and then her cat that came with us from argentina felipe and then we had of course luna so she had felipe her cat and then luna and my two cats had been staying at my mom's house okay um during this time so she had those two pets with her um, so somehow she had gotten to California with the two animals.
0: Yeah. Okay, wow! And that she—I mean, it's great that she still had them because my fear is—yeah, yeah.
1: I mean, me too. I—I I was terrified that she had hurt them. Something had happened. Like my mind went to every possibility because at this point, like anything was possible. Right. Um. So back when she lost her job in November of of 2016 and she was looking for all those jobs and being like unreasonable about the money and all of that. um, She had this goal at that time. Like she really wanted um, to get a job in California. She became really fixated on that at the time. So like I was kind of piecing it together. Like maybe she's still trying to like in her, you know, whatever way to like achieve that goal or something. Um, so when, it, when her aunt said, okay, Melee said she's in Los Angeles, my family was like, no, she's got to still be in Michigan. And I was like, no, I believe it. Like, given, like, what had happened before, like, I believed it. Um, so somehow I end up convincing Melee to tell me where she is. Um, I think because she ran out of money is why she was finally willing to, like, open up because she needed help. She wouldn't have otherwise. Right, exactly. Um, So she tells me that this hotel that she's staying at in Los Angeles, and I somehow managed to convince her like that I'm going to come out there um, and that I'm going to help her get home to Michigan. She gives me the address of the hotel. Um, She's on board with the plan. Like, I don't know how somehow like that's what we decide we're going to do. So I get on a plane to los angeles the next morning wow Um, wow and you know i was i really didn't know what was going to go down like i think my family was really like "Ooh, like you know because she had tried to hurt me so many times and like everything that had happened it was just like i didn't know what to expect but well and on top of this
0: we're not talking about you just getting on a plane going out there and getting on a plane and come back you have to drive yeah all of those days and all those miles with her now in close quarters.
1: Yeah. Like I have to figure out how to get, not just, you know, her, but yeah, the dog, the cat, like it was, I mean, I didn't know how it was going to end up or even be possible. I was just like, I just, I have to go out there and try. Like I have to, my thing was like, I wanted my dog back. Like I was so upset that she had taken her and put her in danger. And I was angry with Neely at the time. And I was just like, this is my go save my dog mission. Right. <laughs> if nothing else. <laughs> <laughs> um. So I go, I get on the plane, I go to Los Angeles. I get to the hotel where she's at. Um, And she opens the door and like, it's Melee again. Like the relief on her face, like, I, I don't know. It was like something like clicked and it was like, that monster side went away for a minute, not right. entirely, but
0: oh, like, yeah. Yeah.
1: it was her again in a way. She was happy to see me. She was relieved to see me and the pets are there. Luna's there. They're doing okay. I'm relieved. And we end up like we get plane tickets to come back to Michigan for the next day. Um, So within like that, that first day that I'm there, and we get these plane tickets, we're going to go back home, Um, our flight home gets canceled. Oh, no. Don't ever fly, Spirit.
0: (laughs) Okay. (laughs) FYI, guys. (laughs)
1: Because this was an ordeal. Um, I spent forever on the phone, like, trying to rebook, and I think it was, like, two more days until we could get on another flight. Okay. So now we're stuck in L.A. for a couple of days. Um, The plan was we were going to fly, and we would each take, like, one of the pets as, like, you know, as a carry on. Yeah. Basically. Right. Um, but now we have a few more days, you know, to like kill time until we can do that. Um, but Melee wasn't being aggressive and she wasn't like making her usual threats. She instead is like talking to me about like the future that she wants to have. And she's talking about going home and she's talking about selling her house, which is something that like we had been trying to convince her we needed to do given like, you know, the the whole situation and the finances, everything. And like, she was adamantly against all this time. So like, it was just like, oh my gosh, like she's done a full like 180 here. Like she was like talking about like basically finding a way to put this all behind us. It was like the first time I saw her kind of acknowledge that like things were really bad right? because the whole time, like no matter what happened, like she just thought, the world was against her and like she was just it was happening to her and she had no role in it kind of thing mm-hmm. but this was the first time that she was kind of acknowledging that like I don't know it was it was that, if that wasn't the case and that things were you know things had been bad and that we need to move past it like there was a, some kind of logic and reasoning there that was like okay like it gave me so much hope like It was everything I wanted to hear, right? Like the whole time. Um, So at that point, like my hope is like back in full swing. And I'm like, we can do this, you know? But like at the same time, even though she's seemingly like doing well, there's like these little behaviors that like strike me as not okay. Like, for example, she's like clenching her fist and like pounding like the seat that she's sitting on, like kind of involuntarily, like. Just a weird thing I'd never seen her do before. Or, like, I don't know. She just seems so tired. Like, she, her face, like, she just, I don't know. Something was still off. Like, she wasn't totally herself, but it was just the most she had been herself in a long time. Right. Um, so, like, we have all this time to kill. And we went, like, it's so weird to think about. We, like, we went and walked to, like, Venice Beach. We went and sat on the beach in Malibu. We had all these conversations for the first time in forever. Um, we went and had dinner, like, at a gay bar. It was just, like, it was surreal, but, like, on the other extreme end. And I remember, like, texting with her family. And, like, everyone was just breathing this sigh of relief. Like, maybe this is going to be a turning point And, like things will start getting better. Um, That was the hope anyways. So um, the night before, like our rescheduled for the millionth time flight is supposed to leave. um, We're at the hotel and I'm like packing up stuff, you know, getting ready because I know in the morning we're gonna have to get up early and like go get on this plane. Um, She seems relaxed, like whatever. We go to sleep. I wake up at, like, one or two in the morning to Melee standing over me, screaming in my face about how I brought a bunch of men to the hotel to oh, rape her. Like, no. a repeat, one of these repeated delusions. Um, she's going on and on about how I'm actually a Trump supporter and a racist and that I don't like Latinos and that all of these things like
0: yeah. all of
1: the delusion all of it is back she's like two inches from my face like standing over me as I'm like laying in bed just screaming as loud, like as loud as she can and I remember like Luna was like laying in the bed and she was terrified and like shaking oh, no. and like that signaled to me like I mean I was scared too but like Seeing Luna's reaction, like, in the moment, I was just, like, I really thought, like, she's going to hurt me. She's, she's going to kill me. Like, that thought crossed my mind. Um, she grabs me by the hair, and she's, like, yelling at me. I'm just holding Luna. Like, I don't know what to do. And she, like, all, she lets go of me, and she storms off, and she goes outside to have a cigarette, and she tells me, I'm calling the police. As soon as she went outside... So this hotel was kind of like an apartment, like it had a private entrance. So like when you go outside, you're on this like terrace that has like stairs out to the street, okay. kind of like, like an apartment motel kind of style. Right. So she goes out there to smoke, and I like, I didn't even think about it. I just was in full, like, I don't know, automatic mode. I jumped up, I ran, I closed the door and I locked it so that she couldn't get back in. I frantically ran around the hotel room packing up the last few things I thought I might need getting like Luna's food her leash I grabbed my suitcase I grabbed my dog and I literally like bust open that door and like make a run for it
0: yeah running for the vehicle
1: run down the stairs run into the street like get away from her as quick as I can because in my mind she's gonna have that cigarette come back in and then like whatever she was planning to do was going to continue. I don't know. So I just instinctively was like, I need to get out. And so I get out to the street. And of course she had called the police to tell them all her delusions about what she thought I had done. Um, so the police like stop and talk to me for a little bit for the thousandth time. I have to explain everything that's going on. Um, the police actually are surprisingly like understanding they wait for me to get, like, an Uber to go, like, to another hotel. Um, they go to talk with Melee <laughs> about, I don't know what. Um, I end up, like, Ubering around Los Angeles to different hotels trying to find a place that will let me have my dog with me. Finally find a place to stay. At this point, it's, like, 4 in the morning. Um, I guess Melee like, insisted that the, the police take her, um, like, to make a statement or something. I don't, I don't remember what happened with that, but like she ended up being tied up talking to the police for a while, but I had already told them like, listen, like she's very ill. This is what's going on. So that like nothing ended up happening with the police in this instance. And they didn't take her to like a hospital or anything. Um, so I'm in this other hotel and I'm like, okay, I can't, I can't get on that flight tomorrow morning. Cause she might be on it. And like, at this point, I'm just like, I, I, I can't be around her. Like, so
0: now it's no longer a let's bring her back home. It's just let's get Luna and.
1: Let's get Luna and Sharon back to Michigan right. safely. That's yeah. the new goal. Yeah. And not run into Melee again. <laughs> and so I rebooked my flight yet again. Um, and I think I ended up staying in L.A. for another day. As at that other hotel for like one or two nights. Anyways, I finally get on the plane with Luna. I make it back to Michigan. I don't see me at the airport. I get back home. I'm relieved, have my dog, like that was, you know, at least that part of the mission was accomplished. Right. Um, and I, I didn't know it at the time, but like that was actually the last time that I saw her in person. Oh wow. Um so
0: what a heartbreaking I, thought that that was, but it wasn't, it wasn't her. I mean, you keep pointing that out. It no, wasn't her. It wasn't. And the it fact really that you recognize that that was the mental illness speaking and not her,
1: which is right. healthy
0: for you to remember. So I, I'm, I'm glad that you do that.
1: Yeah. It took me a long time to be able to really separate the two. Cause I would have all this, these feelings of like anger and frustration and like, in my mind, that frustration was directed at Mealy, But I, over time, like, learned to think of it as being upset with the illness because that wasn't her. Right. Like, the real Mealy would never do any of those things. Like, in her wildest dreams. Like, that was not her character. Like, right. So, yeah. It, that And that is important. And that's a really hard thing to remind yourself when you're in those moments because you're witnessing that person's actions or listening to what they're saying and like, you know, hearing the person you love, like calling you these ugly names or like trying to hurt you. Like it's a hard thing for your brain to, and your emotions to process. So it's helpful to separate it that way, but it's not easy. Right. That's for sure.
0: Absolutely. So the that was the last time you saw her. Did you speak with her again after that? Oh, yes.
1: Okay. <laughs> so that's the last time I saw her in person, but then... Um, you know, kind of, here's kind of like the, I guess, beginning of the end of the story. So I'm back in Michigan. She's still in California. She didn't get on that flight that next day either. I don't know why or what she did or if she tried, but for every reason she didn't. Um, but she ends up getting on some other flight and getting back to Michigan a few days after I did. At this point, her car had been parked at the Detroit airport for weeks cuz she was in California for like a week before we even knew where she was and then by the time you know I went out there got home she got home it had been like a couple of weeks um so her car had been at the airport for weeks her family told me that she made it back to Michigan and they were like asking me please if I could go like get her car. And I was like, that's going to cost hundreds of dollars. Like, no. (laughs) Um, I told them I wasn't willing to do that. And that, you know, they really wanted me to go and like check on her. And I said, no, I can't like, you know, I told them everything that happened, but like I was their lifeline. Right. I'm like the only person they have, but I I had to tell them, no, I couldn't go check on her.
0: Um, you have to maintain your own personal safety at that point.
1: yeah, Yeah. And it, you know up until then I hadn't, you know, I was risking my safety over and over again, but that incident in California, like really opened my eyes to like how bad it could get. And so from that point, I, I started going into more of a self-preservation mode for sure. Right. Um, so, you know, I told them, no, I also found out that, um, she had left her luggage at the airport. I don't know if She got off the plane and just left it there or it got lost or something. But her luggage was there at the airport, but she didn't get it. All of her medication was in that luggage. Okay. Um,
0: So now she's roaming around not properly medicated.
1: She doesn't have her meds. The The airport will not let anyone but her retrieve her suitcase. Despite me and I think my stepdad trying to like call and reason with the airline and people at the airport, they refused. They said only Neely could go and get her suitcase, even though, like, they have no idea how impossible of a task that actually was. So that's a problem. Um, So we're trying to figure out what to do with that. The next day, I get a phone call from a number in Ohio, and I answer it, and it's Mealy. And she's calling me from a police station in the middle of nowhere, Ohio. Oh, no. She tells me um, that she's been arrested and that she's in a jail there. And between talking to her and the police and getting my hands on the police report, talking to her family, we, like, pieced together what happened. She, so when I said I wouldn't go get her car and when I couldn't get her luggage, I guess she decided to, to go to the airport in Detroit herself. I don't know what her intention was. I, I assume it was to go get her car and her luggage, but I, she didn't have a means for doing that either. Um, so I don't know. But instead of doing any of that, she instead somehow managed to steal a car that was parked outside of the airport.
0: Oh,
1: wow. And she just, and she had her cat with her, the one that she had taken to California and brought back. She still had him with her. I don't know why. Um, And she just started driving with no plan, no destination. So like here, there's this major freeway called I-75 that you can take from Michigan all the way to Florida if you wanted to. And so she got on that highway and just started driving south, you know, down to Ohio. I don't. She had no plan, no nothing. The police pulled her over on the highway. Uh, she was driving 98 miles per hour oh, in wow. this stolen car. So they took her to jail. They took her cat to a shelter. And so we, we pieced together that, like, this is the new situation that <laughs> we have to deal with. So... The next day, my mom and I drive down to Ohio where she is. We go to the shelter to rescue her cat. And then we go to the jail. And, like, I I could not I could not go in there. Yeah. I couldn't do it. So my mom went inside. She talks to the staff there about, like, the whole medication problem and how, you know, basically we need to figure this out. She needs to get her medicine, the suitcase, whatever. Somehow my mom works it out with, like the people at the jail and I don't know to get Neely her medicine. So at least that piece is like getting resolved. But meantime, Neely is facing felony charges for stealing the car. Right. So all my fears with like the domestic violence case and her being deported, it's like, well now like this you, is a felony now. Like, yeah, there's no I just mean,
0: sending somebody back home to, <laughs> there's no myself.
1: way to wiggle out of this one. Right. right? So they put like a I forget how much it was something like three or five thousand dollar uh, what do you call it bond mm-hmm. to get her out of jail right so her family and I have like these long discussions and we make the really difficult decision not to bail her out right um, I mean at this point like I said no one no one could stay with her as she kicked everybody out or would get angry uh, like. And at at this point, I really felt like I believed that left to her own devices, the next thing that was going to happen would be that she hurt someone or herself or kill someone or herself. Right. Um, None of her family was, you know, here in the U.S. at that time. So we just thought, you know what, at at least in this environment, as terrible as it is, like she can't, that out of control behavior can't happen.
0: Right. Right. Right.
1: So. Luckily, the jail actually got her meds on a schedule. She had to be in bed on a schedule. She had to do everything on a schedule. And because she was there more than just a few days, like, I hate to say this, but jail was a better environment for stabilizing her than any hospital, any mental health facility that we went to. Wow.
0: You know, that's incredible that you say that. That is, and and we're not talking about a big jail here, right? We're talking about a small No, it was like a little
1: town in the middle of nowhere, like, county jailhouse so that
0: probably has a piece to do with it is they probably had more time and resources per person to allocate to making sure that those things were happening
1: yeah that would make sense right yeah and it was the structure of it you know which at the the psychiatric facility that she was admitted to a few times like that was supposed to be the idea but like i don't know what was different but it, it became clear that being in jail like gave her that stable structure that kind of like what her therapist had said before like she needed structure to her day she needed routine to like help her right um so in some ways like I saw some improvement in her behaviors and things being there like it was still kind of that flip flopping thing but like the fact that the other the good side would come out sometimes was again like sort of a, a glimmer of hope, I guess. Right. Um, and you're talking over the phone and yeah. So really at that point, like I become her connection to the outside world. So like I would put money in her account so she could have phone calls. Um, and then for her to talk to her family she couldn't dial international numbers right. from the jail. right? So she would she would call me, and then I would use my mom's phone, and I would call her mom and, like, yeah. put the phones next to each other so she could talk to her family. And this became, like, a, I don't know, almost daily kind of thing. Right. And she usually didn't really want to talk to me, but she wanted to talk to her mom or her sister or whoever. But, like, she needed me to get to them. So right. it was this weird thing where, like, Every day I'm helping them connect, but like Melee doesn't want to talk to me really. Right. But I'm hearing the whole conversation because I'm there. Right. <laughs> so it was this weird, this weird dynamic. Um, there was one day on the phone where like we couldn't, we couldn't get a hold of her mom or like, I forget what happened, but like, it was just me and Melee on the phone. And like, it was the first time in a long time that like, that was the case. Um, and so, like, this breaks my heart to even, like, think about it. But she was, like, um, I could tell she was just lonely, you know, and, like, yeah. sad. and yeah. Sorry. No, that's fine. She she, um, she was always, like, a really big music fan. Like, that was something we connected over. And um, she asked me if I would just, like, play some music yeah. over the phone for yeah. her
0: which was so kind that you after everything that you'd been through that she has these little requests that you're still so willing to do for her knowing that it's just that little amount of joy that she needs
1: exactly right. it was like you know nothing I had done was helpful and that was so hard to face and so it was like this one little thing that I could do but like you know, it was just so sad. Like when I sat there listening to the song or whatever, like it was just so sad. Like it hit me in that moment. Like, you know, this is my wife in jail. Right. I'm playing her music over the, Like, how do we get here? You know?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: It was just like, it really hit me and that phone call. Right. But at the same time, I still was like, so scared of her. And so, like, I said, like, I had gone into that self-preservation mode. But, like, anytime there were those little glimpses of hope or, like, that the little humanity, bit of connection, humanity, it was so was hard. Because I would make all this progress and kind of, like, yeah. make kind of, like, working towards letting go. And then something like that would just pull me right back in.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: So... um. She was in jail from, gosh, September, end of August, September was when she got arrested and she had a few court dates. And then like the big court date that was coming up was going to be in January. So at this point, it's, that would be January, 2018. So this is, you know, my 2017 is coming to an end and this is where we're at. Right. Um, so at this point like she has this court date coming up I think it was like the sentencing court date was this big one and so her family and I like we had agreed that from the outset that like we would keep her there until that court date um I forget like all of the reasoning why but like that was like the milestone that we had right um
0: it seems like the reason would be because she's safer just waiting there
1: yeah, like, yeah. I mean, that was the, the main reason was just, like, she couldn't do any damage from in there. Right. And she was safe, and the people in her life were safe while she was there. So we're, like, and she was, you know, getting her medication and all these things. Like, there was this positive element to it. So we were, like, okay, you know, until that court date, like, no one's bailing her out kind of right. thing. Right. Um, But her mom started getting upset thinking about the idea of her daughter spending Christmas alone in jail Mm. um which like it was I mean it was hard for all of us obviously but like I still felt strongly that it wasn't worth it you know I and I refused they asked me if I would go and get her out and I said no I won't do that um so this was a point where her family really started to like turn against me so we had been this team this whole time right but at this point You know, I didn't agree with them anymore about what they wanted to do. And they didn't agree with me. So her mom and her aunt decided they would come back to the U.S. again and that they were going to go get her out and spend Christmas with her. And they wanted my help. Like I said before, when they would come here, like they relied on on us for everything. So like they were planning to come, but like they don't speak the language. They don't they can't drive here. Like all these things like. Right. And I was telling them, I'm not going to do those things this time. Like, I'm not going to help this time. Um, I mean, I was terrified of what would happen (laughs) when Neely got out. So um, I told them no. Like, I I tried to explain to them, like, you know, at this point, I had been diagnosed with an anxiety disorder. I had lost all this weight. Um, Like, I just couldn't, I couldn't take it anymore, right? Mm. Um, So... We have this kind of falling out. They come here. They end up connecting with like a former teacher of Mealy's from like years ago when she was in the U.S. as a student. They find someone to help them to like go to Ohio, bail her out, go back to our house. I was still staying with my mom at this point.
0: Um, so you're not even staying at your own home
1: still? No. her house was kind of like in this limbo state. I had been staying at my mom's. And, like, the whole time Melee was in jail, like, yeah, I could have been staying at the house. But, like, at that point, the house was, like, I called it a haunted house at that time. Like, you would walk in there and it was just the worst vibes. Like, all the bad memories, all of the bad, like, it was just, I didn't want to be there. So um, they end up going there, taking her there. Um, They, like, called me about something at one point about, like, turning like the water back on, or I don't know, something to that effect. And then I really didn't have contact with them. Um, I found out later that like within a day or two of being back at the house, Neely was calling the police on her family, kicking them out of the house. Uh, One night she left the house and was gone all night and came back with frostbite. Like the whole cycle was happening again like just as we knew it would right Right.
0: yeah
1: um and at this point i'm not really talking to her mom and her aunt a lot i'm still kind of talking with her sisters but like as i said this like falling out is starting to happen because they are upset that i'm not like they're actively helping anymore um so their goal was to bring neely back to argentina an idea that Melee was like absolutely against. Right. Um, so, and she wouldn't, and Melee didn't understand like the legal trouble that she was actually in. Like she didn't understand the gravity of it. And like, you know, we, I tried to explain, a lawyer tried to explain like what she was, she just didn't like, I don't know. It didn't click for her. Her ability so,
0: to understand these things yeah, that were happening in her life still, it just wasn't there.
1: Right. Yeah. So that court date comes, they somehow get her to court in Ohio. I don't know. Um, she gets charged with the felony. She gets sentenced to probation. Okay. And so I'm expecting, you know, like the, the criminal justice system and like ICE don't have a direct connection, but the way like the world was at that time, I was just waiting for, you know, that line to get drawn. And for her to end up at like a detention center or something like that. But I'm actually also kind of like thinking that her being deported might not be the worst thing. So part of the reason that me and her family want her to get back to Argentina is because their mental health system is very different. And the way that her family described to me was that. You know, the types of facilities, like psychiatric facilities they have there, they wouldn't be releasing her after three or four days and changing her meds. Like, it's a totally different system. They thought she would have a better experience. And I was convinced of it, barely knowing anything about it, just because of the horrible experience that we had had here. Um, So, like, everybody starts to kind of coalesce around this idea of, like, getting Neely back home to Argentina is the best plan even though we're not really, like, a team anymore like before. Um, so Mili's sister is, like, telling me that, like, no, we're going to get her back to Argentina. It's going to be fine. Um, at some point around this time, her mom um, completely turns on me. I She sent me all these text messages one day, and basically she blamed me for everything that happened the whole time. Right. This, this was the woman that, like, you know, I felt like she was, like, you know, my, like, teammate through all of this. And we went through all these difficult things together. And we were, like, I, it, was, it was really sad and hurtful to, like, have her turn her back on me like that. Because I felt like she knew that wasn't true. I mean, right. obviously that wasn't true. I wasn't responsible for everything that happened. But she was so, you know, I know she probably had a lot that she was going through but she was yeah, hitting so she, a
0: breaking point herself and, and probably yes. was just lashing out because of that.
1: Yeah. So when she started blaming me for everything, that's when I really started to lose touch with the family. Like it, we start to, you know, not really communicate anymore. And like, I don't want to communicate with Ines anymore after, you know, she kind of like turned her back on me. So like the falling out kind of just gets worse. Um, And after a little bit of time, my mom sees Ines posting some photos on Facebook of her and Mealy in California Mm. on a beach, on a beach together. Oh, wow. Okay. So at this point, I just kind of stopped trying to keep up with what's going on with them. Like, Mealy and I haven't spoken. We're not, like, on speaking terms. Her family's kind of, you know, put me out of the picture I see that Ines and Amelia are in California. I'm like, what is happening? Like, so at this point, I'm just like, I, I need some peace. Like, I need to let go. And I kind of step away from the situation. And so this is like early in 2018. And from, for a long time, I didn't hear anything from any of them. Like, I don't know. I didn't know what ended up happening. I didn't know if she ever went to Argentina, if she stayed in California, if she came back to Michigan. I had no idea. Um, And so, you know, after like a year or so of like just no communication, I was trying to like look into like, like how could we get divorced? Like how could I cut the ties? Like I was trying to heal and like be okay for me at that point. And the more I was trying to heal, the more I wanted like less to do with all of everything that had happened. Right. Um, but I didn't know where she was, you know, and I would go sometimes like over the years, I would go into like that, the court docket from the court in Ohio and like look for clues because that was the only place I could get information. Like her family blocked everyone in my family on social media at one point, like lost all connection to them. Um, and so it, it just kind of, things kind of faded away. And like, that was it. And I heard nothing. It was just like, no updates, no info. I stopped looking for information, didn't want to know anything. So from early 2018 until August of last year, and my mom called me and she told me that Mili's sister, Juliana, the one that had come here um, and was like trying to help and everything. Um, she had messaged my mom on Facebook saying that Melee passed away
0: Mm.
1: so my mom calls and tells me this and i immediately just burst into tears which it was such a strange feeling because i had spent all this time grieving her you know to me she had been dead she had been gone right because that person that i fell in love with like didn't exist anymore so it was this really weird feeling to grapple with of like you know, okay, now she's really gone. Um, they told me that, uh, or they told my mom, that it was a heart attack, and that was it. didn't right. share any other information, where she was, any other details of what happened. Um, I ended up, at this point, reaching out to them for the first time in all those years, um, and they send me pretty much the exact same message, like, no additional info. They don't even, like attempt to engage in conversation with me, anything beyond just, like, that short little story. So right. <laughs> I I didn't know what to believe, honestly. Like, part of me was like, is this even true, you know? Because given everything that had gone down, it was like anything could be possible. Um, it could also be,
0: at think. that point, is it her pretending to be her sister online and sending the message? Right. Yeah, it could you be, don't know It what could to be believe.
1: absolutely anything. And right. so... I decided that I I would try to get a copy of her death certificate because I thought, I can't really trust information from her family, you know, after all of this. Right. And now that they, we really don't speak and they're clearly not open to sharing anything more than that. So I thought, you know, a death certificate will tell me at least something, right? Right. So I decided to start with the like Vital Records Office in Los Angeles because thinking about that last Facebook picture that we saw and that's where they were and everything that happened with California before I thought like if she was in the U.S. like that's probably where she was okay and they had the record they found it, it wow it so was, the first it was place
0: that you looked the first place and
1: I couldn't believe that like those pieces came together. I really expected it, like my search for this to go nowhere. Yeah. I had to jump through a bunch of hoops, but I was finally able to get it. They mailed it to me. Um, I didn't really get the answers I was looking for besides the confirmation that like, she did pass away. Right. Um, the death certificate listed her cause of death as under investigation.
0: Okay.
1: Um, it also listed a different name that she was going by. I just, I'll never know what ha, what her life was like from, like, 2018 to 2021. And I just, like, I don't know. I just felt, like, it was such a weird combination of feelings of, like, grief. But also, like, in some ways, a little bit of relief almost. But mostly just feeling so sad that, like, this was the story of her life. And yeah. that that wild trajectory that she got on never ended like to me that was the saddest part like it was that death certificate was like confirmation that that downward spiral that began back in November 2016 like never ended and to me that was the part that was like the hardest to grapple with and like accept was like my biggest fear was that she would never get better and like Seeing that death certificate, just, like, that was all I could think, you know? But I could be wrong. Maybe she maybe she had made a new life for herself in California and things were better. I have no idea. And, like, part of me doesn't want to know either.
0: Right, because the it's one of those things where the last thing that you want to hear is that she ended up homeless on the streets and, and right. wandering around aimlessly. Uh, and at the same time... I I don't know about you, but I would have that feeling of if she got better, why wouldn't she have told me she got better? Um,
1: yeah, there's two sides. I, I don't to believe it. it. I can't believe that she got better. Right. Like, I don't know. Right. It's not a thing. Like, yeah.
0: It 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 definitely was a full downward spiral that is not coming back up. And the story that you described, I think, is uh, what's in the conversation. So much that you hear in social media and in the news of where we have these holes in our mental health healthcare system, where yeah. these folks who just need the help and stability are just tossed back out, just go back into the system and tossed back out again, and treated like right. criminals, as you said. Uh,
1: exactly, and it's like the it's it's almost like once someone shows up in the system, whether it be the hospital system, the legal system as mentally ill, the person they were before that doesn't matter. And to me, that was the thing that like, you know, I I, how I was saying how I was constantly having to retell the story and trying to get people to understand that, like, this is not who she is. It's like, that's the part that like is missing. It's like once people show up in the system as being mentally ill, then, like, they're put in that box of, like, oh, they're just crazy, they're psycho, like, oh, like, I'm scared of them, like, they're gonna become a murderer, like, there's this whole thing in our culture around, like, oh, they're crazy, and, like, we put those people over to the side as being, like, different and unfixable, but, like, those people, you don't know their whole life story, like, you don't know who they were before these things happened to them, so it's so frustrating to me, like, to, to, to see how like jaded and how normalized all of these things were from like you know the judge to the doctor to the police officer to the lawyer whatever like they are are obviously aware of all those gaps in the system but like there's there's nothing happening to solve it. It's just the status quo.
0: Right. Right. Yeah and that's uh just a huge unfortunate circumstance that we have also for those who are trying to provide health care for them and hitting these walls of where they are working they don't have the resources available and the system that they're working with is not a resource that they signed up for, to work for um, right I could imagine how frustrating that would be to become a mental health professional and find out that you're very limited on what you can do
1: yeah that you can't be effective and you can't actually help and Like I said, you know, like her longtime therapist and psychiatrist, like at at some point kind of had to, I don't want to say give up on us, but like they couldn't help us anymore.
0: What is a pump, pal? Well, I'm glad you asked. It is a glove that has a magnet in it so you can stick it inside the door of your gas tank. You can stick your hand right in there, pull the pump Not touch a thing. Keep your hands nice and clean, spick and span. And guess what? It is made from the silicone that you can clean when you get home and you can keep it sanitized and you don't have to worry about touching all the muck and bringing it home. So get your pump, pal. All you have to do is go to the link in this episode, click on it, get yours today, get one for your friends, get one for your family. Everybody needs this thing. Be safe clean and get your pump pal going back through your journey lessons learned or advice for those who are going through something similar
1: i think i mean i guess the biggest lesson learned was kind of what i said earlier about you know people have needing to want to help themselves and if they don't then there's only so much or maybe nothing you can do but I think beyond, like, a lesson, I mean, there's, I guess there's plenty of lessons you could take from all of this, but what I really wanted to, the reason I wanted to share this story in this format is because when I was going through these things, like, be it, you know, the beginning of the story, coming out, to all of these scenarios, you know, trying to navigate this illness, um, it was really lonely and isolating, and it felt like, even though I know this isn't true, but it felt like no one else could understand my position or like nobody else had experienced, you know, what I experienced going through this. And so my hope would be that just by sharing this story that someone who is experiencing something similar can just know that like, this is a tragic thing that can happen, but you know, it's not unique to you. It's, it's, It's not just you who's experiencing these things and having to face these challenges, like, you're not alone. And I I feel like had I had that kind of connection or, like, heard a similar story or anything during that time, like, it would have at least brought me a little bit of relief. And any little bit of relief in a situation like this, like, you'll take any little drop of it that you can. So, like, that's that's the reason I wanted to talk about this was to, with the hope of maybe providing just that little momentary relief to somebody who is going through a similar struggle
0: right and that is important to know that you have a community of people who are going through something similar um and even a network to reach out to i think that's something that uh you seem to have been more willing to start to share and i think tiktok may be another outlet for you on that in order to get a community and support and this is something that um clearly has affected you for years and oh, probably will yeah. for years. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> and being able to talk about it and open up about it. Um, I can tell that your demeanor about everything has changed in feeling free to discuss it. So know that that's um, something that could help somebody else out there.
1: Yeah. I mean like so many times, like while this was happening or shortly after, like I would talk to like my sisters about it and, like I remember my sister joking like you can make a movie out of this someday like this story is so wild like you couldn't make this up you know and like there was part of me that always felt like I needed to share this but I didn't I didn't know like how I would do it or like when I would do it like it was so difficult to speak about before Mm -hmm. and like I feel like now I'm I mean I, I still cry about it I still get sad thinking about her and But it's not it's not like before. I'm not in that like panic state anymore. Like enough time has passed that like I can reflect and and think it through. And so like, yeah, just thank you for letting me do that and, and have this platform to hopefully help other people to to connect a little bit.
0: Oh, absolutely. Well, thank you for sharing your story. I know it is something that was, it took you time to to come out and have the courage to do that. And yeah. the importance that it will have to other people is, is going to be tremendous. So thank you so much.
1: Yeah, thank you. Thank you.
0: For episode ideas or to place an ad on this podcast, please email lesbianspeaking at com. If you'd like to support this podcast, as you should, please go to Patreon forward slash lesbian speaking, or you can find lesbian speaking on Venmo. And guess what, folks? I now have a merchandise line you can check out. I have all of these links in this episode's description. Make sure to check back next time. Give me some stars. Give me some comments. Share it with all the peoples. And I thank you all for your support. Have a great and wonderful day. Evening. Good morning. Good night. Bye.